This is Write Your Own Story, Three Keys to Rise and Thrive in Life and Business. I'm your host, Rebecca Fleetwood-Hessian. The question that always gets asked after you learn a new concept or get introduced to a new idea is, but how do I do that? So today, we're going to answer that question, how do I learn to be before I belong. That's what we're getting into today, y'all, because we are on this topic of burnout for weeks and weeks, and the conversations have been so robust that I just want to keep going. So I introduced several weeks ago The research on burnout, the first report that came out in 1974 from a clinical psychologist, German-American guy, Herbert Friedenberger, and the research that he came out with in 1974, while not widely published because we didn't have the Googles, is still very accurate and relevant to the conditions of today as it relates to burnout. So he has a report on the 12 stages of burnout, and you can go back and listen to the previous episodes to get some more depth there. And those first three stages of burnout out of the 12 are the ones that I'm focusing in on because that's the equivalent of getting to root cause as we do as good consultants and coaches. So the first three stages of burnout going to read these back to you. The first one is a compulsion to prove oneself, defined as an obsessive need to perform, achieve, or care. And the subtext of this is very important. It tends to affect the conscientious people who show enthusiasm and accept responsibility. Number two stage of burnout is working harder, having a difficulty winding down, feeling like the organizational expectations are out of control, unreasonable, or unfair. And the third is neglecting our own needs, poor sleep, diet, and to shut ourselves off from others. And what I did in the last episode is encapsulated those three and looked for some common themes and what I discovered in digging into the research and what those mean is fundamentally when we have a sense of belonging being stronger than our sense of being. So in psychology, things just get distilled down into kind of those two camps, being and belonging. So being is our biological needs, who we are, what I call our meaning in the framework that I use. And belonging is how we connect with others, our social needs, our purpose, the way I call it in my framework. And that often translates into our career, how we're showing up at our career. And so if we want to focus more on our being before we jump into belonging. We need both. But being has to come before belonging if we're going to keep ourselves out of burnout. And so the question then is always, well, how do I do that? How do I make sure that being is a stronger focus for me than belonging? And so I thought on today's show, I'd dig into that and give you some how-tos. 
which isn't that funny. <laughs> being is all about being you. And yet, we don't know how unless, you know, we had a good coach or mentor or parent that really believed in this. We didn't really learn the skills of how do I be? And so I'm going to help you with that. I have a book called Write Your Own Story, Three Keys to Rise and Thrive as a Badass Career Woman. It applies in life and business, no matter if you're a career woman, career man. So on page 74 of my book, I have a framework that I call your story framework, because in the book, I reference your being as your story. But your story really reflects being and belonging. So the first three stages of my framework are about the being piece of things. So I'm going to break some of this down for you today. But I'm also going to give you some client stories, examples, so you'll know what it looks and feels like when you get there to where you have been able to flip the script, if you will, that your being has become more of a focus and more important than your belonging. So we're, we're moving ourselves out of that need to prove ourselves. And I just have to take a minute and say to you, I hope you're watching one of the audiograms that I put out on social media about the podcast because I am wearing a sweatshirt that I sell on my website, wethrive.live slash shop. Y'all, this is the best sweatshirt I've ever owned. Like all of a sudden, I just looked at myself and I was like, I have to tell them about the sweatshirt. So that's what I'm going to do. It's the softest most amazing sweatshirt. It's got this, like the neck is wide and cut out so it doesn't choke you even though it's a hoodie. I'm telling you, every time I've given one away to a client, sold one to someone, they message me and say, I can't take this sweatshirt off. It's that amazing. So there's your public service announcement that you need a thriving sweatshirt. Okay, back to our regular, regularly scheduled program. I'm serious. It's ridiculous. Okay, being. How do we do it? Now, the first stage of being has to do with our biological needs, eat, rest, hydration, energy. You have been told this, shown this, read about this, paid people to help you with this, maybe. This is not new news. So I don't know what the catalyst for change needs to be for you to focus on meeting these biological needs in a really healthy way for you, but you do. And so I encourage you to ask yourself some of those questions because a healthy approach to the biological aspect of living is going to set your mind and your emotions up for all the best. This is not just about the size jeans that you wear or if I can see your biceps at the beach. This is about wellness. And so, again, I don't know what your motivation is to want to eat real food 
that comes from the ground or has a mother natural real food instead of processed food is a key piece and to manage your hydration with actual water and electrolytes and not diet coke no shame to you if if that's your thing but if we want healthy brains and bodies and emotions the basics matter getting enough sleep that your 5:30 a.m boot camp workout may actually be defeating you more than helping you if you're not getting enough sleep in fact studies have validated that women actually need more sleep than men even in seven to eight hours and so whatever you need to do to get enough sleep and to have movement throughout your day which doesn't need to be running a 5k it just means every once in a while throughout your work day get up and move around take a five ten a minute walk work on getting your 10,000 steps in whatever that means for you but the basics uh, the best person to follow to learn more about this is Eliza Kingsford, who's one of my Thrive Guides for the Rise and Thrive experience. You can follow her on Instagram, Facebook, and get amazing information about your health and wellness. And if weight loss is a part of that journey for you, uh, she has an amazing program called The Shift that I highly recommend that you take a look at because it gets at the you know, she has a book called Brain Powered Weight Loss. It gets at the neuroscience of our behaviors, why we do what we do, why we don't always do what we wish we could do. So she really aligns with the whole being aspect of things. Highly, highly recommend. So the first step in being is from that biological wellness perspective, food, hydration, rest, and movement. Which brings us to the next stage, which is our daily stillness practice. And people have been asking me lately, tell me about yours. Like, how do you do it? Do I just sit there? Like, what does being still mean? And so I'll share with you how I do my daily stillness practice. And hopefully that will help you think about what you need for yours. A couple of things just from a biological perspective. It is known that if you get sunlight, natural, go outside first thing in the morning, no matter the temperature or the weather, if you go outside and get natural sunlight first thing, it helps to set your circadian rhythms so that you sleep better at night. And so the first thing I do in the morning is I go outside. Oftentimes it's taking my dog out for a walk in the woods or if schedules are different that I'm not going to be able to do that until later or it, it is like legit pouring rain <laughs> first thing in the morning which is all it's been doing in the midwest here lately I will still go outside for a few minutes and sometimes I'll take my shoes off and do what's called grounding which is standing in the grass on the earth and allowing the energy of the earth to connect with my energy so that I can start to regulate my nervous system to get started for the day. So being outside in nature is a part of my strategy throughout the day, but for sure, first thing in the morning. And then I have a, a station, if you will, for my daily stillness practice. I have a chair, a stool, my journal, my Bible, my pen, uh, enough space to set my cup of coffee in the morning. So I know where daily stillness takes place in the 
warmer months here in the Midwest, I do all that outside on my back patio in the winter. It is set right beside my sliding glass door so the natural light gets in, even if it's if it's snowing or cold. And when I sit down to do my daily stillness, mine is very much rooted in prayer and I'm a Jesus lover. So that's a big part of my practice. May not be yours. I'm not saying it has to be. I'm just saying this is what mine is. And so a few of the questions that I have posed in the book are reflecting first thing in the morning about how do I feel today? And just doing a check-in with myself. What do I need that flows out of how I'm feeling? If I'm feeling overwhelmed about a number of projects or if I'm feeling excited and grateful about my clients and the work that they're doing, if I'm feeling mad, angry, upset, like I just check in with myself. And sometimes I'll journal about those feelings to process what's going on with me and what's my next best step in addressing those feelings. So then that leads to the next question is, well, what do I need right now? And just to sit in that moment of feeling it. If I'm angry and asking myself, what do I need? And just letting those answers bubble up. Sometimes I need to regulate my own nervous system and check myself before I wreck myself. Sometimes I need to have a difficult conversation with someone else. It's going to be different for every single scenario, which is why you can't really get a checklist or a template for this stuff. It's you talking to you and who who are you being in this moment? My next question that I'll ask myself in the morning is, what do I want? What do I want this day to be? What do I want this project that I'm working on to be? What do I want my relationship with my kids to be? So whatever's happening in my life at that time, I just check in with that. What do I want? And then the next question that I have in the book is, what makes me, me? Because designing a life where you align your relationships and your career to who you are uniquely is where we get the most beautiful connections and belonging. We don't have to prove ourselves, which is the first stage of burnout. We just be ourselves and connect and do the work that we are uniquely made to do. We're all different down to our fingerprints. That's the way God intended it so that we can connect like unique pieces of a puzzle to bring things together that are more beautiful, stronger, and every one of us has a purpose in in that. So what makes me, me? And then what do I love about my work? And so if you're early in this journey of self-discovery, what we call the definition of badass, badass, which is intense self-awareness. The exercise that I lead clients in as we start to work together, and you can actually purchase this session as a one-time session. It's 90 minutes. It's a unique gift, talent, ability, and experience inventory session where I have a series of interview questions that I help you discover a real depth about who you are. But if you want to do this on your own, you certainly can. The thing you'll want to ask yourself is, 
what do I love doing? So this is specifically about your career. What do I love doing in my work that I'm really good at? And just start to list those things. What do I love doing that I'm really good at? And jot those things down. Once you have a list of those things, the next question to ask yourself is, what value do those things provide to my organization, to my team, to my clients? So there's where your belonging and your connection is. But we want to just look at it through the lens of being. Who am I? What am I good at that I love to do that has value for the organization? The next question, and if you're a regular listener, this is going to start to sound familiar. How is that value that I provide by being myself? How is that relevant to what's happening right now in my organization? And this is important because the economy changes, business dynamics change, clients change, leaders change. And so we want to know how to shift and adapt our value to always be relevant to the current needs. So then you jot down, how is my value relevant right now in my organization? And then ask yourself the question, and what impact am I having with this value that I provide the organization? So this goes back to things we've talked about in the past. What's my V-R-I? Value, relevance, and impact. Now, what I hope you do is pause this episode in between each of those questions and give yourself some space to really think about those things and respond to it. Or tomorrow morning, use this episode, fast forward till you get to these questions and make this your daily stillness practice for the day. So we want to look at how am I valuable, relevant, and making an impact. And if you continue to do this work, And if you're working with me as a client, I ask that you weekly, at the end of a week, reflect back. When in the week was I valuable, relevant, and making an impact? So that you have this feedback loop of your being. And as you do that on a regular basis, just like anything else that you do on a regular basis as you're building skills, you start to have a greater degree of trust in who you are being. I have a worksheet for it, a weekly rhythm worksheet to ask these questions that on a weekly basis, you can go back and reflect and start to look at the patterns and start to trust yourself. Start to trust the decisions that you make. Start to trust who you are. And this starts to flip that script from proving ourselves to being ourselves. So that no matter what's happening around you, you don't feel this pull to go and sacrifice who you are or what you value to please somebody or something outside of yourself that makes you feel bad about yourself. 
See where we're going with this? It's how we flip it. I want you to trust you so that you have that inner thrive guide, that intrinsic motivation that we've been talking about. Now, in the book, I talk about the company story and the money-making model. Here's where I connect it to those things. It's important for you to know the company story, the strategic goals for the organization, who you serve, what you stand for as an organization, and the money-making model, because this is where you get your relevance. It also ties to, in the research on burnout, the second stage of burnout is the feeling that you always need to work harder because the organizational expectations are unreasonable or unfair. You know, the organizational expectations are always going to be more than you can deliver in a day, a week, a month. There's always going to be more. There's never going to be this sense of, well, well, look, I'm all caught up. Mm, no. In fact, that's the name of a chapter in the book. Caught up is not a place. And so we have to know the money-making model of the organization and the strategic goals so that we can make decisions for ourselves about what's reasonable to accomplish in a day or a week and put our own boundaries on our time. And when we know the goals and we know the money-making model, we choose activities to complete that we know have the highest impact. It's not about getting it all done. You're never going to get it all done. And so you're going to get the most impactful things done so that if there, you know, when there is a review of your contribution and your accomplishments, you can show the impact that you're having, not just the checklist that you've completed. Because completing everything on the checklist is never going to get done. That's where burnout comes from. You have discernment. You have boundaries on your time. But you're not sacrificing the most impactful activities. You're not doing the things that actually don't have that much impact anyway. And people don't miss it if it's not completed. And there's a whole lot of that happening in organizations, I can promise you. As a long-term coach and consultant who's worked inside thousands of organizations, trust me, there's a lot of wasted crap that nobody needs to be doing. But again, you are choosing. You're not waiting for the manager, the boss, anybody else to tell you because you know what's most impactful to the organization. Okay, so those are some how-tos to being as the primary focus before you get to the belonging, where you connect with others and serve to have impact. Here's how you know if you've made the shift. I'm going to give you some examples from some clients and some things that they've said to me and our work together so that you can start to get a sense of if this is working or not. And this is a great time for me to remind you that I am launching an experience called A Thousand Thriving Women, where I am going to be helping a thousand women with these tools. And each month giving you assignments and workbooks and community to help you be guided through this process to thriving so that you can trust yourself and have that inner thrive guide. And then ultimately, I'm going to teach you how to 
build community and lead and all the things. But the first six months is focused on you, personal thriving. Okay, go to the link in the show notes. I've got a couple of Zoom calls that I'm going to do to give more information because we launch in a month. And you can ask questions. You can tell me your expectations. I can meet you. And it will be amazing. In fact, the by the time this episode airs, I have one on April 13th at 2 p.m. Eastern time that you can catch. And I'm going to be adding more if you go to my website, wethrive.live, the very top. It says click here to learn about a thousand thriving women and you just pop in your information and there's a couple of videos from me about the experience and the dates of the upcoming Zoom call info sessions and the links and all the fun stuff. And just to give you some insight, I'm so excited about this. To give you some insight, here's my dream is that we would have you know, 20 people from each state in the United States. So we could literally have national thriving movement. Out of the people that have already shown interest, we have a ton of states where people have said, hey, I'm interested. Went and looked at the places where we don't have anybody yet. So, hey, shout out Alaska. (laughs) Shout out Arkansas. If you know somebody in Arkansas, please forward this show to them. Hawaii, hello. For those first 20 people in Hawaii that sign up, I will, on me, book a trip out there to meet with y'all personally (laughs) to make sure that you're well integrated. In fact, I'm going to do this with several other states. Anybody that has a large group, I will come out and meet with you live. Let's invite some people in. I really want to get out and meet you personally. Connecticut, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Rhode Island, Vermont, and West Virginia. If you know anybody in those states, give give them this episode, forward it to them, please, and say, hey, there's this person, Rebecca Fleetwood Heshed, and she's starting a thriving movement and needs somebody from Vermont or Rhode Island or wherever you are. And maybe they'll be the state representative of the thriving movement, which we are setting up communities in this way so that you can really have impact in your local area. I'm excited about it. Can you tell? I just, okay, I got to get, I get back to the regularly scheduled program. Okay. So how will you know if you've made the shifts? Here's some client stories and examples. So one client that I'm working with, she's a COO of a national company, billions of dollars company, big, big company. And she was pretty steeped in proving herself when we started working together. And so, of course, we spent the time doing exactly what I've just shared with you. I held up the mirror and helped her see herself. I helped her look at her gifts and talents, her, how her experiences were valuable and relevant to the organization, really spent some time there. And then as I worked with her in specific challenges and opportunities that were coming up in her organization... She has a lot of people in her organization that expect things from her. There's funkiness and weirdness. It's a organization that has grown exponentially from a family-owned business many, many years ago. And so you've got people that are aging out and generational challenges and all kinds of fun business stuff. And with each one of those 
stakeholders, we'll call them, relationships in the business. We've taken a look at them and I've helped her understand that we don't just change people because they need to change. We meet them where they are. We understand their motivations, their fears. We take some time and we reflect. Once we know ourselves and we start to go into relationships, we ask ourselves, I wonder how they're seeing this situation. We kind of try to get inside their heads a bit and see things through their perspective and their lenses. And as she's been able to do that in a really meaningful way, I mean, she is stellar at this. She's building amazing trust in the organization. And now people trust her and her decisions because she knows who she is. She has spent so much time in this place of being that when she gets to the belonging piece, she's, as I say, standing tall in her story. And when we stand tall in our story and we have confidence and we know who we are, and people can tell that we've spent time reflecting and understanding and listening. They want our advice. They want us to serve them and connect in a beautiful way. And so in one of our sessions recently, we were talking about the impact that she's having in the organization. And that's the other thing that's great for me as a coach is I'm able to see patterns that may be shifting that you're so close to it that you don't always see. And I was affirming her and saying, hey, can we just take a minute and look at how far you've come in the work that you're doing, the confidence that you have, the impact that you're having? Like It is significant, the impact that she's having in a fairly short period of time. Probably just to give you context, oh gosh, six, seven, eight months, which when you're talking about big changes and big companies and leadership, it takes six months to multiple years to have culture change and big shifts. And, and boy, she's just doing amazing things. And as I was affirming her in that, I always ask the question, how do you feel? And she paused and she said, paraphrased, I don't remember the exact words, but she said, I feel so confident in the decisions that I'm making because I am reflecting and pausing and, and I'm sure like when I make some of these big decisions that I know are going to be a challenge for people, but I know they trust me and I know that uh, the answers are the right answers for the, these people in the organization. She said, I'm at a point where even if something major happened and they didn't agree with me and asked me to leave. She said, I'm, I'm to the point where even if they couldn't get on board with me and ask me to leave, I am so confident in what I'm doing is the right thing that I would gladly leave because I would know that that my ideas are the right ones for this organization. And I just... I wanted to just stand up and slow clap because that's it. When your sense of being is coming from a reflective state, not an ego, I don't care what you think, I'm just going to mow over everybody and command and control. No, 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 no. 
that's not what she's doing. She's coming from a place of being herself, reflecting, getting to know the key people, getting to know the key issues, a lot of time in reflection so that she can connect, not control. And because she's meeting people where they are and building trust and connecting at a deep level, they want her advice. They want her to lead. They know that she has their best interest and the company's best interest at heart. So even if she's had to make some really tough decisions about people that are in the wrong role for the organization. But when she comes at it in that conversation with so much reflection and so much confidence and so much thought for who they are, they can see it not as being controlled, but that she cares. And that's different. Coming from a place of connection versus control, even when you're asking for big changes that aren't that not everybody's going to like. But they can oftentimes see why it's important and why it's necessary. And I think it's important to note that in this particular leader's situation, she has some pretty significant health challenges that from, from past experiences, autoimmune challenges and, and things that she has to have really firm boundaries on her time, energy, and efforts to protect her own health. And I was able to share with her recently that I think it's because of those challenges and her, her firm protection of her own health that keeps her grounded and confident in her sense of being, you know, in, in my Bible-loving world, it's, you know, he'll use it all together for your good, even the things that have been really hard for you. So it's been a really beautiful um, experience working with her and seeing the impact that she's having. That's one example. Does she know she's so confident in the decisions that she's making? She's like, look, even if for some reason they can't bear it because they just can't get there, I, I know that I've done the work to understand me and what this organization needs. That's good stuff. Another example, uh, a person that I'm working with spent a lot of time again. What are your unique gifts and talents? How are you using them? And, and there was some frustration that had built where in the role that she had been in for many, many years doing great work from the organization's perspective, they're happy with who she, she is. Uh, they No complaints from them. They would be happy if she'd stay there for a long, long time in this particular role. And as she was looking at the impact that she was having, she was frustrated that she knew she could have more impact. And she was frustrated that she wasn't using her gifts and talents as much as she wanted to or felt like she could. And she started shifting her role and doing things a little bit differently and keeping keeping track in that weekly rhythm, excuse me, of validating her VRI, value, relevance, and impact. And through that work, she finally got to the point where she felt like in her role as it stood, she was kind of topped out. And so she went and had a conversation with the president and, you know, he agreed. And in that particular role, there wasn't going to be a lot of movement for the way that the role was designed. And so she's moving to a different part of the organization. 
She's moving out of leading the marketing into a sales role with a different division and a different leader. And it was a beautiful conversation with the president where she said, I can have more impact here. And I know it's important to this organization. I know the money-making model. And I know this business inside now, and I want to go do sales. And she's got an opportunity to now make more money, have more impact, and use her gifts and talents in a much more profound, meaningful way. And she's excited. And so she's creating the conditions where she can be successful. She wasn't waiting on somebody else to go, you know, knock on her door and say, hey, today's the day you're getting developed and you're growing today. No, she created that opportunity for herself by having those conversations. Um, another example of a client that's in an organization that is, you know, all organizations have challenges, let's be real. And, um, the challenges that she's faced with in her role aren't going to get better anytime soon. It's it's just navigating how are we going to deal with what we've got right now. And a way that I know that she had made the shift from being, being the primary focus before belonging is she said, you know what? We, you know, we do the check-in. If you're listening to the show often, you know that I do the what's your number check-in with clients to you know, one is really low, 10 is bliss, five is meh, that flat eye, flat mouth emoji, like, eh, just okay. And so I check in with my clients in every session, what's your number? And I asked her what, you know, what's her number that day? And I think she said a nine. And I said, oh, okay, cool. And she said, but it's not because everything in the organization is fixed or dramatically better. She said, I'm a nine. Because I know that even when things aren't okay around me, that I'm okay. Oh, I'm telling you, these are the moments with my clients that I cry. <laughs> I get tears. I get so emotional because when we started working together, she didn't think she could be okay until everything was fixed and right. And if that was going to be the case, it was going to be years before she felt fixed and right. And in fact, we're always growing and evolving as people and as organizations. And we're, if we're waiting for everything to be done and right, we're never going to be okay. And she had learned to be okay even when everything around her wasn't okay. That's the deal. That's when you get out of the stages of burnout. The first one, which is proving yourself. The second one, working harder. The third one, not only working harder, but I'm going to give up my, my health, my sleep, my movement. I'm just going to grab crappy snacks at my desk and work through my lunch. And I'm not going to get up and move around. And I'm going to take my work home at night. So I'm not going to go walk the dog or I'm not going to get out with the kids. I'm going to stay up late, like at all costs, I'm going to do these things because I'm concerned about my belonging. I'm concerned about my achievement. I'm concerned about how the boss feels about me. Am I going to 
whatever it is for you. I'm concerned more about the belonging and the connection and how somebody else feels about me than I am about how I feel about myself. Nope. Flipping the script on that. And so that's why today I wanted you to know how do I do this being thing and not get so caught up in the belonging part? We need both being and belonging. In my book, like I said, the framework is on page 74, and I break it down into personal, emotional, and social, which is our meaning and our purpose. The social is our pur- how do I use my gifts and talents to serve? And when we reflect on who we are and get really confident in who we are, we can have trust in ourselves and a fierce desire to take care of ourselves so that we can serve in a big, bold, badass, beautiful way of our families, our friends, our clients, that we've got a healthy, holistic approach to this deal. And I want to remind you something about growth as it relates to these topics, because that's something that anybody that listens to this podcast has has this desire to grow, right? You don't listen to podcasts. Well, you, if you if if you don't have a desire to grow, you're you're listening to a different kind of podcast. We want to be successful. We want to have great careers, and so I want you to think about growth, what that actually means, because sometimes when we think about career growth. Oftentimes, when we think about career growth, we think we have to go out there and get a certification or take another class or read another book or the answer is out there. And in order for me to grow, I have to go out and get something and bring it into me, bring it into my knowledge and awareness. I have to learn something. Well, if we think about nature, we think about Plants, flowers, animals, people. Growing happens from inside. It doesn't go out and get something to grow. And if you look at the neuroscience of learning, we can't absorb something that we have, we are trying to learn. Let's say it's a book or a class that you're taking. You can't even absorb and remember that information unless you have a regulated nervous system that can receive the information in a way that it is meaningful and that it is meaningful. We can't just go grab a bunch of information, throw it up in our brains. I hate it when I say throw it up. That's a bad term. (laughs) Put it inside our brains just in case we might need it later. We have to do the work of who are we being and then go get the information that helps us be more of what we want to be. We don't just accumulate learning like we're collecting stamps 
we go get learning and growth by who am I? What do I want for my life? And what do I need to go learn for me to be more of what I want to be? Which helps bring a lot of discernment to what books you should read, what classes you should take, that we're not just willy-nilly out gathering information. We want to know who we are. What do we want? And then go get the information that will be most meaningful to the journey of growth that we've chosen. Maybe that should be its whole episode in and of itself because I feel like there's a ton of places I could go with that. But not today. Not today. Today, we're going to wrap this thing up with a reminder. You are unique down to your fingerprints. And when you spend the time with yourself each day to know yourself in a way that you can trust yourself and get so much confidence that then you can turn to others and practice that same loving reflection with them to help know who they are and how you can serve them. That's when we will flip the script on burnout and be done. Be done with the burnout conversation. That our being is more important than our belonging. They're both important, but we need to prioritize being has to come first and then belonging. Okay, y'all, make it a great day. And don't forget to go down and click the link on A Thousand Thriving Women. Go out and reach out to the women that you know that you think would benefit from this. Have them sign up for one of these Zoom sessions so we can chat about it. All right. Love you, mean it. Make it a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode. I would love it if you would leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and then go to wethrive.live. First thing you'll see is a place to drop your email and join the movement. I'll send you tools that you can use to thrive in life and business. I'm not coming down. Hey, y'all, fun fact. If you like the music for the podcast, that is actually my son, Cameron Hessian. And I would love it if you would go to Spotify and iTunes and follow him and download some of his other music. My personal favorite is TV Land. <laughs>